gather together to uh, worship the Lord this morning. And it's a joy also to have you with us if you're joining us via live stream as well. Uh, before we begin, let me give you just a couple of announcements. One of them is just a reminder that after our service today, uh, we do have a congregational meeting where we, where, where we will be reviewing uh, last year's uh, finances and also putting some motions uh, for your approval as well. And during that time, if you do have children, we are having, uh, providing child care during that time. And so uh, to make it easier, if your children are already up there, uh, you won't have to bring them back down and then bring them back up, but they can stay where they are. And, uh, and during that transition from when we go to our service to our congregational meeting. So again, that'll happen right after the service today. And then the second thing I wanted to put uh, for, before your attention was that in in Philippians, uh, we have uh, this, uh, this care package that was sent by the church at Philippi to, uh, by uh, Epaphroditus to the Apostle Paul, which was intended to be a, just a means of encouragement uh, to the Apostle Paul, and it was. And uh, we see such a great example of that, and we want to, as a church, uh, sort of cease on that kind of example as well. And so what we want to do is put a sort of a care package together for somebody that we have been supporting for a while and that's for our sister Reshma, who is currently uh, in, seminary right, in seminary right now to be equipped and trained and sent out uh, as a missionary. And so what we want to do is put a care package together. And we can put uh, se- several different things, a number of different things into that care package. It could be anything from a note of encouragement, uh, a, a, write a card. Uh, some of you are artistic. If you want to draw or paint something for her, it might be encouraging as well. You can also provide gift cards, whether it's to a restaurant uh, for groceries or Target, because she likes Target, and a lot of women like Target, and that's not intended to be a stereotypical comment. But uh, there's a number of things that you can uh, put into this care package. If you need ideas, you can always uh, see, see Caitlin as well. Uh, but if you do have anything with you, um, there is a basket in the back, uh, in the back table for you to put those things in, and we want to put something together uh, soon so that we can send them to her so that she would might be uh, encouraged uh, by that as well. Yes. Oh. Okay, so really, really soon. <laughs> so, you're, yeah, you're welcome to stop by the house and just drop things off if you like. So, um, anyway, so yeah, it's just uh, an encouragement for her. And speaking of care packages and giving the gift of encouragement, uh, we are here this morning to worship the Lord, and the Lord, as always, when we gather together, intends our time together to be a sort of a, a gift of encouragement to God's people. Just as uh, any time when God's people gather together, it's intended by God as a means of grace to his people, as a gift of encouragement, and so also with the Sunday morning when we come together. And that gift of encouragement can be through a word of exhortation, a word of comfort. Perhaps you need a word of comfort this morning. It might even be a conviction of sin, and even that is intended to be good uh, for God's people. And so the only question is, are we willing to open uh, our, our, our minds uh, and our hearts and our ears to, to listen to what the Lord may have for us and receive what the Lord may have uh, to, to, to share with us this morning? And so as we come before the Lord, uh, hopefully ready and with the humility to receive uh, as we come together to worship him through song, to pray, to hear from his word, let us uh, look to the Lord to receive from him uh, whatever uh, means of blessing that he intends to give to us this morning. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship. Uh, 
we'll have our call to worship before we can move forward. Philippians 1.18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Amen. We will rejoice. Let's worship together, church. Lead off. Sing together up to the hill, up to the hill of Calvary, my Savior went courageously, and there he bled and died for me. Hallelujah for the cross. And on that day the world was changed, a final prayer. Lamb was slain. Let earth and heaven now proclaim Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the war he fought. Love has won. Death has lost. Hallelujah for the souls he fought. Hallelujah for the cross. What good, what good I've done, could never save my debt to pray, or peace to pay. But God, my Savior, made a way, hallelujah, for the cross. A slave to sin, a slave to sin, my life, but all my chains, but all my chains. Fell to the ground when Jesus' blood came flowing down. Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the war he fought. Love has won, death has lost. Hallelujah for the souls he fought. Hallelujah for the cross. Sing again. Hallelujah, for the war he fought, the past one, death has lost. Hallelujah, for the souls he fought, hallelujah, for the cross. And when I breathe, and when I breathe my final breath, I'll have no need to fear that rest. This hope will guide me into death. Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the war he fought. Love has won. Death has lost. Hallelujah for the soul he fought. Hallelujah for Sing that again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the war he fought, love has won, death has lost. Hallelujah. For the souls he fought, hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the cross. Lord, we worship you, Father. Hallelujah for the cross.
We worship you this morning. What a beautiful song, Lord, to prepare our hearts 
for your word as we enter in that time. But we will receive your food, Lord. God, you are worthy of our praise. Singing is just a way of doing it, Lord. Um, And so, Father, today I just pray that you may lead our hearts, lead our attitudes as we just sang, Lord. That we may faithfully walk with you, Lord, as you walk with us. Lord, lead us this morning into your presence. May you be glorified, Lord, um, in all things, God. So, Father, we thank you. We worship you. Um, May we now receive your food, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Man, let me read from James chapter 1, verse 17, and then we'll transition to a time of prayer. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Father, your word reminds us that you are our provider. Lord, we spend many of our years working uh, in order to produce and provide for ourselves and for those that we care about. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us the hands and the mind to be able to work. But we thank you, God, because ultimately these things come from you. The only reason that we can provide for ourselves and others is because you have ultimately provided for us. You have given us life, and you have given us breath. You have given us seasons. You have given us rain. You have given us the sun. You provide for us food and water. And this passage also reminds us that you are not a God who is far from us. Rather, that you are a God who is near to us. So close to us as to even give gifts into the world. That there is this ladder between heaven and earth where there's angels ascending and descending, giving gifts into the world, but specifically giving gifts into your people. And we thank you, Lord, because on that ladder, we receive a precious gift, and that is Jesus Christ, who himself came down from the ladder from heaven and came unto the earth and died for us and rose again from the dead. Not only has Jesus descended this ladder from heaven in order to die for us, but he himself has also become the ladder, the ladder of blessing through which we receive your great blessings as the people that you have adopted through faith in Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Lord, for being our provider. And Lord, as this passage tells us that every good thing that we have comes from you, from the money in our bank accounts to our homes, to our vehicles, to our friends, to our family, 
to our church. Everything that we have comes from you. And yet, Lord, we come before you this morning and we admit that we have a tendency, Lord, to make idols of the things that you gift to us. Augustine himself once said that our hearts are idol-producing factories. The machinery of our hearts can become an assembly line of, of producing these idols, Lord. We have a tendency to greed and covetousness and lust. Hence why the scriptures teach us to, to keep our heart with all diligence. Hence why even Cain, in the book of Genesis, what was commanded by the Lord to rule over his heart and his sin so that he may not be consumed by it. Our Lord, sometimes we allow ourselves to be consumed by our greed, by our covetousness, by our lust, by sin. We enjoy the good gifts that you give to us, but sometimes we don't do so in a temperate manner. God, so we confess these sins before you and we ask that you would please forgive us of our transgressions. Forgive us of the idols of our hearts. Forgive us for the moments, for the times that we pursue even the things that we should not be pursuing. Lord, your word also tells us in the book of Romans that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all or gifted him to us for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Lord, contentment and satisfaction ultimately comes from knowing that we already have everything in Christ. Not only do we have daily provision, but we have the gift of eternal life. We have the gift of forgiveness of sins. We have the gift of adoption as sons and daughters of God. We have the gift of, a, of the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of being able to live forever with you when we pass from this life on to the next. So Lord, we do pray and ask that you would help us to be a people who are content and who are satisfied and everything that we have in Christ. And Lord, we do pray and ask that you, was, you would give us a growing holiness, a growing appetite for holiness that comes from the profound transformation wrought in us through Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning, we plead on behalf of those of our brothers and sisters, Lord, who are in a season of trial, perhaps in a season of the testing of their faith, for those who may be struggling in their Christian walk for whatever reason. These brothers and sisters of ours are eager for the gift of comfort, the gift of joy, the gift of peace, the gift of alleviation from their distress. So we pray for them and we lift them up before you this morning. And God, as they grow less attached to the world, help them to become increasingly attached to the kingdom of heaven. We pray that you would graciously give them the gift of your comfort and joy and hope and peace 
that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, remind them of these things. Help them to see Christ as their most valuable treasure. Lord, we pray that they might be able, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, to be able to pray the words of the psalmist. It's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May that be her prayer, Lord, in this season. May that be a comfort to your people. Use it as such. God, we pray this morning also for Sister Ina York as she continues to minister in the Dominican Republic. Lord, your word cautions us against treasuring money and finding satisfaction, fulfillment in money. And yet, Lord, what a good thing it is when you graciously provide monetary funds, Lord, and especially for the work of missions and for the promotion or the proclamation, rather, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, God, for being so generous and kind to provide all that she has needed to be able to establish this sort of missions base, the house missionaries, and to aid her in proclaiming the gospel to those around her. And we do pray and ask that you would graciously continue to provide, provide the resources, provide the funds, provide the right people that will help her. Lord, we are reminded of the great generosity that we read about in 1 Corinthians, this collection of the saints in 1 Corinthians where it tells us that you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Lord, continue to provide through people, through individuals, through churches, through organizations, continue to provide for this mission's work, not only for the good of the work there in the Dominican Republic, but ultimately also, God, so that there would be an overflow of thanksgiving unto God for your glory, Lord. And Lord, we pray also this morning for our brother and sister churches in this area, Lord, as they continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners. Lord, you call your people, you call your church to be ambassadors for Christ, giving unto us this ministry of reconciliation. Lord, help us to step into those shoes, to fulfill that calling as ambassadors of the gospel, to be ambassadors of God, to proclaim the gospel of reconciliation. 
Lord, as generous as you have been with us in giving to us your son for our salvation, help us with that same generosity to boldly go out and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of man. And Father, we, we pray this morning for, the, for this growing tension and situation in Ukraine. Lord, we can only imagine just the, the great trepidation, the great fear and anxiety that there is right now. And God, we do pray and ask that you would protect lives, Lord. That you would intervene. We pray for wisdom for our leaders. We pray that you would provide everything that is needed in order to provide protection and justice, Lord. So we do pray and ask, God, that you would be gracious and kind, Lord. Even be so gracious and kind as to prevent this invasion from happening, Lord. And lastly, Father, we come to you and we also pray this morning uh, for those in our church who are moms, who are working in the home, whether full-time or part-time, and taking care of and raising their children. And Lord, this is a difficult work. And even though we wholeheartedly affirm that children are a gift, sometimes it doesn't feel like they are. And so we do pray and ask, God, that you would give our mothers just great grace, great patience, Lord, great and increasing love for their little ones. Help them to remember, Lord, that this isn't a meaningless work, but this is a glorious work. This is a meaningful work in shaping hearts and molding character. God, give to them everything that they need. Help them, Lord, to also give their children the gospel of Christ, to teach them about the great God that we serve. So we pray that you, would all, that you would help them to continue to fight and find joy in the wonderful work that you have called them to. And we pray also for those, for, for moms who are expecting, Lord, would you be gracious and kind to them, especially in days where there's just nausea, where there's exhaustion. Lord, give them strength. Give them energy. And we pray for their precious ones, that you are growing in their womb. We pray that you would protect these precious children, Lord, who are, even though they do not know you yet in a personal way, that yet they are still a testament to the glory of God, for they are created in your image. Lord, protect these precious ones. We pray that you would bring these, these, these children to full term and to, to healthy uh, labor and Lord, that they, that you would continue to nurture and care for their growth and health. Lord, we trust you for all these things, Lord. We look forward to all that you are going to do. We look forward to the day that you come again and you establish your kingdom and your righteousness on this earth. And until that day comes, let us continue to join our hearts as we continue to also pray the prayer that you have taught us to pray in your scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. This morning we are turning to Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 2. We're reading verses 18 to 26. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or have any or can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity, and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the gift of your divinely inspired word. And as we just sang a moment ago, we pray that you would, that you would take these truths and plant them deep into our hearts that you would use this word to fashion us and shape us in the image of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For many years now, there's been a growing trend of people leaving or or trying to leave the confines of the cubicle and the limitations of the nine to five for more freedom. Many people will sort of give themselves to side hustles, developing passive incomes, arbitrage, investing, all in an effort to have more freedom in their life, not have to work so hard for so many years of their life. And I think a particular, one catalyst to this growing trend was from a book from 2007, but it has become increasingly popular once again over the past several years. Maybe you've heard of it, but it's Tim Ferriss' book, The 4-Hour Workweek. 
It became a, an incredibly popular book. In four years, it spent on the New York Times bestseller list. It was translated, has been translated into 40 different languages and has sold over 2.1 million copies. In his book, he essentially repudiates the, the slave, save, retire plan, which is work for as many years as possible, work hard, work diligently in order to save all that you can so that one day later on in life you can retire. His book instead sort of promotes a sort of mobile lifestyle. And he provides wonderful and, I mean, uh, wonderful is not the word I use to describe it, but practical and helpful and tangible steps on how to essentially live like the new rich, which isn't essentially defined by wealth, but defined more about the freedom that you have to be able to work from anywhere and do whatever you desire. One particular statement in the book, it says, I'm going to assume you, the reader, are suffering from a tolerable and comfortable existence doing something unfulfilling. And he says that this is common and most insidious. Essentially, with this growing trend of people who are trying to escape, I guess, the limitations of work, the nine-to-five, the cubicle, is sort of the pursuit of the good life. People have a definition of what their good life is, and their definition of the good life is not working nine-to-five, five days a week. It's a pursuit of the good life, but then we see that there's nothing new under the sun. Right, this is exactly what the teacher many years ago was after. What is the good life? What does it look like? How do you define the good life? What is fulfilling? What is satisfying? The teacher, however, helps us to see the problem a little bit differently and answers the problem differently than this popular book. Where the solution, according to this book, is escape the nine to five to do essentially what you really want to do. And work from anywhere in the world. And that is where you find fulfillment. And that's where you find the good life. And the teacher, right, been following along with us in the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, essentially says, I've already done that. Way ahead of you there. In fact, I had it better than you possibly ever could. Than any of us, than anybody in the world ever possibly could. And I'm here to present you with my conclusion, and that is, I have nothing to offer you. But he does offer a solution. But first, in this particular section, we're talking about working and labor, right? It seems to be a particular, a specific theme in this section. And so we begin with what we see, I think, in this passage is this working, not unto prosperity, but working unto poverty. Again, in verse 20, the teacher, the wise man, says, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who was told with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. 
what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun. For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. We saw a few weeks ago in chapter 2, the teacher's pursuit of the good life, essentially a, a hedonistic life, the pursuit of pleasure, withholding nothing from his heart. He says what he did with that kind of life. He made great works. He built houses. He planted vineyards. He made himself gardens and parks. He planted all kinds of fruit trees. He made pools to water his forest of growing trees. He bought male and female slaves. He had great possessions. He gathered silver and gold and treasure. He got singers, both men and women and concubines. He had everything and withheld nothing from his heart. And then we saw that he sort of then considers everything that he had accomplished, everything that he had done. He says that it was all vanity, and a striving after the wind, empty-handed, nothing. And if you remember, when we took a look at those specific passages in, in Ecclesiastes 2, we also then contrasted it to God's works, because Solomon seemed to have been working in the same way or producing the same things that God himself was producing in the very beginning. So we took a, a look at God's works in the very beginning, and everything that he had built, everything that he created, everything that he had made, and he had a very different reaction, right? He turned and looked, and he considered, and he says, it was all very good. The teacher, on the other hand, does this about face, looks at everything. He does more than just say this isn't good, but he even gives himself over to despair. Statistics show that a third of the average person's life is spent working. Back in 2019, according to a study, when asked about satisfaction in the workplace, 46% of Americans said that they are largely dissatisfied. It is no wonder then that you have this growing trend of people are trying to find the good life and to find the good life as, well, let's escape from work because surely I'm not finding it here. Let me find it out elsewhere. There's nothing new under the sun. There's the pursuit of this, what's become known as the new rich, which is not defined, as I said earlier, by wealth and how much money you have, but it's actually defined by lifestyle. It's defined by experiences over assets. People essentially are after the same thing. But work itself isn't a bad thing. Now, certainly there are bad jobs, there are bad managers, there are bad employees. But work itself, the, the idea of work, isn't a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. It's not a sinful thing. But if you look, remember back in the very beginning, the book of Genesis, God created everything. Heavens, earth, everything on the earth. He created man in his image, and then he created him to work. He put him in the garden to work. The work Is not a consequence of sin because work came before sin. Work originally was intended to be a good thing. 
not a means of satisfaction and fulfillment, but a good thing nonetheless. But then we have the fall. We have sin. Man transgressing the command of God, disobeying God, sinning against God, and then we have the terrible consequences of that action. And if you're familiar with the fall and the telling of the story in Genesis, you know what happens. That God curses the ground. Essentially, God gives man over to working the ground tirelessly, to the sweat of his brow, given to vexation, to stress, essentially saying that the ground itself will bear thorns and thistles, no matter how hard, and you know this from experience, that no matter how hard you work, those thorns come up. No matter how hard you work, those weeds will come up intending to choke the produce that you're trying to produce. That those thorns come up through terrible management, disgruntled employees, that all the work that you put in, it comes with a great deal of effort. And on top of these consequences, I would also think that a consequence of the fall is this sense of meaninglessness and satisfaction that comes, that we sometimes, or perhaps even oftentimes, struggle with in the workplace. So we spend a third of our lives working and giving the consequences of the fall and how they still play out even to this day. It is no wonder that our lives can be so filled with sorrow and vexation and distress. Again, you know this from experience. I mean, I'm sure all of you who have worked for any kind of significant amount of time have been kept up at night and had sleepless nights because of work, or because you had to work, or because you were thinking about work, or something stressful about work. Now, work isn't necessarily defined by the nine to five, but I think work can be defined much broader than that. Work essentially is anything that requires mental or physical effort in order to produce something. So work can anything can be anything from producing, trying to produce a work of art. Working can be trying to produce an income, of course, to produce knowledge and perhaps a degree in college, to produce a crop. So taken in that sense, right, we can we work more than we think. So we broaden our definition of work. We see that our lives certainly can be full of sorrow and vexation. And it's not saying that it's, that's characteristic of your life or that your life is all about that. And though, sadly, that is the case for many people. Rather, it means that your life and my life consists of these many moments during our brief period on this earth where there is vexation and stress. And it's in large part because a third of our lives is spent working the ground that God has cursed because of man's sin. Now, 
I think that what the teacher is getting at is that the years that we spend working and all the stress and all the anxiety and everything that we have to endure in the workplace, that we should expect perhaps more fulfillment, more satisfaction, or perhaps even more stuff. We spend so many years of our lives working and working. At the end of the day, I mean, does it, does it all equal out? Does it really show that, that this, what we produce really show the years of hard labor that we have given ourselves to? Because right? certainly if you work hard at something, if you work for many years of your life, then you are deserving of your wages. But sometimes you don't get exactly what you deserve or what you have earned or what you have worked for. And for some people, it's even worse, getting little to nothing. And on top of that, no sense of fulfillment, no sense of satisfaction, no meaning, no sense of purpose. If that wasn't awful enough, the teacher says that the life of work is actually much worse than you think. In verse 18, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the men who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I told and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled or worked with wisdom and knowledge and skill must, he must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. So it's not just bad that you spend most of your life working. It's even worse that you have to eventually give everything that you have worked for to someone else. Now, we might think it's not so bad, right? This is why we have a will, so that we can transfer what our hard hands have produced to our loved ones. Now, if you know anything about Solomon and the teacher, you know that this actually ended up terribly because the one who came after him was actually terrible. But at the end of the day, everyone, without exception, must leave everything behind to be enjoyed by someone else. And there's two problems to this that leads the teacher to despair. The first is the benefactor, the mysterious benefactor. And the problem is that this benefactor is undeserving. No matter who owns it, no matter who inherits whatever your works, whatever your hands have produced, whether it's a complete stranger for whatever reason or whether it's somebody you care about or somebody you love, the point is that the person who is inheriting everything that you have worked for didn't have to work nearly as hard as you did to get that stuff, whatever it is that you're leaving behind. Again, it's not such a bad thing if you're intending to leave those things to your loved ones because we want to love those that we leave behind. And even the proverb says, this is wise. But the point is, is that we can take nothing with us 
and somebody who hasn't worked as hard as we did for decades gets to sort of take it all without their working so hard for it. The second problem that leads to his despair and the much more substantial problem that the teacher is trying to get us to see is that you and I can work for decades. We can work so hard to try to produce something, to try to get whatever it is that we might need or even desire. And at the end of the day, we don't get to enjoy them for as long as we might like. If you consider everything that the teacher had built and put together back in chapter 2, certainly the man struggled with wanting to enjoy these things, even though he saw it as not fulfilling. Nevertheless, there is something about us that wants to enjoy the fruits of our labor. And the tragedy is that nobody gets to enjoy the work, their hard work, or the fruits of their hard work for very long. You might remember the story Jesus tells in the Gospels, the man who had great wealth in store, he, he, he put together, he built a great barn house to, put, to store all of, his, all of his wealth, and he took, and he relaxed. He says, you have done well for yourself. Relax. Enjoy everything that you have put together. Enjoy all of your wealth. And Jesus says, you are a fool. You do not realize that tonight your soul will be required of you considers it a fool because he spent his life, he made his life about amassing all of these things, gathering all of these things. And in a moment, his life is taken away. Right, and this is, this is the reason why he despairs. Because one can work all the years of their life and try to produce all these things, get whatever they, their hearts des- desire perhaps, not realizing that their soul could be taken up by the Lord in an instant and never have that, the longevity to enjoy all the fruits of their labor. The teacher not only says that this is a vanity, but he even goes far as to say that this is a great evil. In a way, he's crying out, this is unfair. This is unjust. This isn't right that I can spend my years working and working and try to get all these things and to not be able to enjoy it for as long as I wish. So what happens is that it ends up being sort of this anticlimactic end. And so in this sense, the teacher would say, "This this is evil, this is unjust. To spend a third of our lives even more than that, and in the end, end up with nothing. And the Bible reminds us of this repeatedly. 1 Timothy 6, 7, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Psalm 49, verses 16 to 20. It's just, it's just plain awful. It says, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he, re- he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp or his pride 
Yet without understanding, it's like the beasts that perish. Everyone who makes it their life's goal to chase after the illusions of satisfaction and who gives their life to the pursuit of the good life here in this world are ultimately writing the anticlimactic end to their own story. Now thus far, from chapter 1 to here in chapter 2, Ecclesiastes, for the most part, has been a pretty godless book. Hence why it's pretty depressing. But then we come to this wonderful, and thankfully we come to this, this transition in the passage where there's now a consideration, more than that, a consideration, there's an acceptance of a God-entranced vision when it comes to the pursuit of the good life. So rather, so as we first saw that ultimately that the man who pursues the good life in this world is ultimately working not unto prosperity but unto poverty. But then we see this wonderful transition at the end of this section that really shows us a working unto prosperity. Right? That's the kind of life that we want to give ourselves to. We're going to spend our lives working. We want to work unto prosperity. Verse 24, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So we saw that the person, the secular person, the person who is does not know God and forgives his life to the pursuit of the good life, writes the anticlimactic end to the own story, but they're not the only author. We also see here that God is another author to that story. It tells us that God gives the sinner to the, to the business of gathering and collecting. And doesn't specify what this gathering and collecting is of, I think that's intentional. It's, it's intended to be ambiguous, to be broad, that it could be of anything. It could be anything from gathering, collecting wealth, status, honor, a name for yourself, friends, acquaintances, anything and everything. That God gives the sinner to gathering and collecting. And then we see another consequence of the fall, another consequence of sin. That God gives man over to spending a third of his life gathering and collecting in order to then have it all taken away and even have of his things given to someone else. And the, Bible, the scripture just states it plainly. This is stating to us a reality that this is what God actually does. It doesn't tell us how that happens. It doesn't tell us when that happens, but it just tells us that this is the case. And we don't know how. So it could be, and you and I may never know, that the things that you have had over your life, the things that you may have now, God most likely had a direct hand. Well, if God is the great provider of all things, God gave you 
whatever that is you have right now. And he may have actually used his hand to take from others in order to gift to his people. Right? And it's not just anyone. It tells us that it is for the person who pleases God. And here we see the God entranced vision of the teacher. The teacher is now viewing life and work from a theological perspective. In his conclusion, he says there's nothing better. After everything that he's written before, he's now trying to draw our attention. He says there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? The point here is not that God is provider, though he is, and that is an important point, and we see this taught to us in various different places in the scriptures. Wait, Matthew 5.45 tells us that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In Luke 12.24, it tells us that God even provides for the sparrows. Even the animals of the earth, God provides. And another passage that speaks to God's gracious, gracious provision is in Acts chapter 14. If I can find it for you. I didn't write it down. God verse 15, God who made the heaven and the earth. Then verse 17, he says that God gives to you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Everything that we have comes from the hand of God, whether the person realizes it or not, whether they're one, a person who pleases God or whether they are a sinner. Every good thing comes from the hand of God. But the main point here is not that God is provider, again, as wonderful and as important as that is, but the center of attention in this section is not necessarily on God, but rather on the person who recognizes that God is the provider and the dispenser of every good thing. You see, what we are giving here in this section is a contrast between two different persons. On the one hand, we have the person who spends his whole life working and missed the blessing of work. And that is the sinner. And the sinner is the one who does not please God. The sinner is the one who does not know God, who does not have a relationship with God. It is the one who does not thank God. And Romans tells us that even a thanklessness towards God is sin. This person is essentially the person who does not know the Lord Jesus. It's God. Give gave unto the world his greatest gift, and that is the gift of his Son who came into the world to spare his people from the judgment and the wrath of God so that anyone who places their faith on Jesus Christ is saved from the judgment of God, is forgiven of their sins, is reconciled with God, is given eternal life and wonderful, bountiful blessings in Christ Jesus. But apart from Christ and apart from faith, it is, the Scripture teaches, impossible to please God. And that no matter how tirelessly this person works or does not work, 
no matter where they find meaning, the Bible would still describe it as a meaningless life. And so that is that describes you this morning. Turn to the Lord Jesus. Turn to him in faith and repentance. Call to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Call upon him to forgive you of your sins. And you will be saved from the judgment of God. You will be saved from the wrath of God. And you will be given eternal life. You will be given the Holy Spirit of God. You will receive, you'll receive the blessings of God. And also, on top of that, he will also save you from living a meaningless life. But apart from knowing God, through faith in Jesus Christ, sinful man will always be pursuing meaning and satisfaction in things that were never intended or designed to provide fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. Right? It's like having a migraine and going to a friend and saying, hey, I have a migraine, I need some relief, can you give me a Band-Aid? That makes no logical sense. A bandit is helpful, but a bandit is not designed to relieve a headache. But this is what the pursuit of the good life is like apart from God. The pursuit of those things that were not ever designed to give anyone lasting fulfillment and joy. So we have a contrast between the person, the sinner, who does not please God, but we also have this other person who is the God-pleaser the one who knows the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. This person also spends his life working, but he also sees and receives the blessing of work. This person can and does engage in meaningful work. Whether it is a job you enjoy or whether it's a job you might, for the most part, dislike for whatever reason, your work can be meaningful because meaning is not what you make it. But our work, all work, Without, of course, with the exception of those that do transgress and violate the commands of God, can be and is considered meaningful work when you accept that God essentially is the inventor, the creator of work, and that God created work for the good of man. And there's a blessing that comes from working when one understands that work itself is a blessing. That to be able to produce something with your hands, even if you have to work tirelessly, it's something that God gives to man. And the person receives blessing when they remember and work unto the Lord. They can go home with a confident assurance that they have pleased God if they put in the work with their hearts, with their hands, and with their minds. regardless of how terrible their employer is, regardless of how hard the workplace is, the one who pleases God receives the blessing of work when they can go home with a confident assurance that even if their boss is a terrible person to try to please, their ultimate master is the one above. And if we can work to bring pleasure to the sight of God, to the face of God, then we can have a confidence in knowing that we've ended our day with good work. 
That was not intended to be any kind of job or career advice. Some of you might need to leave your jobs because it is incredibly stressful and a straining on your emotional or physical health. But I'm trying to help you to see that work itself is a blessing, but not intended to be a means of fulfillment. And that it does take effort to try to find some things that you might enjoy in your work. So as we're thinking about the good life, the teacher is helping us to see that the good life is not defined by success or wealth or how you look or defined by fulfillment or satisfaction that is found in the world. For the one who pleases God, the good life is not about fleeing or escaping work or the pursuit of freedom in your work. The good life is a life that believes that God is the dispenser of all good gifts. And that person enjoys God's good gifts in a temperate manner. And to enjoy the good gifts that God calls us, that God gives to us, it requires contentment. And that's essentially what the teacher is getting at. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. There's a call to contentment, and contentment takes effort. Enjoy work. Enjoy food, enjoy drink. It points to the necessities of life. However, it is when we try to wrestle from them more joy than they were designed to give is when we find ourselves misaligned or missing the mark. The basic applicational thrust of this passage, I would say, is to enjoy God's good gifts. Enjoy them. And the only way to do so is with contentment, not trying to find satisfaction in them, but enjoy them in a temperate manner. Enjoy them with contentment. Enjoy them knowing that they come from the good and gracious hand of God. But our problem, even as Christians, our problem is twofold. One problem is that we have a tendency to enjoy the wrong things, don't we? To enjoy the things that God has not given to us. To enjoy those things that are even sinful. But we find ourselves with a propensity towards those things. And it's those things that we need to continue to repent of. The other problem we have is that we have a tendency to enjoy the good things, but excessively. To turn them into idols. And it takes effort to avoid both. So that's why contentment takes effort. Are you content? Is contentment something that you work at? Have you been abusing God's good gifts to you and turning them into your own little personal gods? Have you been enjoying those gifts more than the giver of those gifts? What are you doing now? What things might you be giving yourself to that might indicate a dissatisfaction in the great giver of all good gifts? One of the reasons we should be and can be content is because unlike the sinner who spends his years working and collecting and gathering only to end up with nothing, the one who pleases God does work unto prosperity. 
And certainly we might spend our lives, a third of our lives or more, working tirelessly, endlessly. And we certainly will take nothing with us when we leave this world. But we don't despair, and we shouldn't despair, and neither should we care about being able, whether or not we are able to take things with us, because the Bible actually tells us that we will have everything. Matthew 5, 5, speaking to those who trust in Jesus, says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Romans 8, 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In Ephesians 1, at the end of chapter 1, Paul prays a great prayer for the church, and one of those prayer requests unto God is that God's church would understand and know the inheritance that they have among the saints. For these reasons, we don't make it our aim to collect and gather for the sake of gathering as an end of themselves, Because those who please God with their lives and with their work will ultimately have everything in the end. Now certainly we also work and we lose everything that we will come to possess. But we will possess everything. And while yes, the person who dies and leaves everything they leave, that they have left behind to those that they have entrusted it to, it is the same for the Christian as well. Because we're also riding on the work of another, and that is the work of Jesus Christ, who came into the world and died on the cross for sinners. We get to ride on his work. We get to take advantage. We get to receive the benefits of his glorious work that we did not have to work for, that we could not ever earn. And the Bible doesn't tell us that that is vanity. The Bible does not tell us that is evil, but actually the Bible teaches us that this is glorious. That this is amazing. That we, through faith in Jesus, can get to receive the benefits of the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it is because of His work, and because God is provided, and it is because God is the dispenser of every good gift that we should make an effort to enjoy God's good gifts. And enjoyment is work. Some of you might have a harder time than others trying to find enjoyment. Some of you might be working too hard and it might be time to take a break. Some of you perhaps never really go out. Some of you need to call a friend to babysit your children so you and your spouse can enjoy one another and go out on a date. Some of you might need to take a break from watching television so you can find, try to find enjoyment in something else. Some of you might enjoy spending too much time alone. It's time to find enjoyment and pursue enjoyment of the company of others. We have to work at enjoying God's good gifts. 
And these good gifts make Christians the happiest people on the planet because these good gifts only enhance their joy in Jesus Christ. And I enjoyed talking about the Christian life and discipline and self-control and mastery and pursuing the kingdom with tenacity, with a, with a vigor, because ultimately I think that, our, that the scriptures teach us that that is the aim of our life, to pursue the kingdom of Christ. But we are not called to pursue the kingdom of Christ at the expense of joy. And so God, because we spend so many years of our lives, I think it is a great grace of the Lord that he gives us regularly these good gifts in order to give us these breaks that we constantly need from our days of work. And so let us enjoy the good gifts that God has given to us. And perhaps if we had made greater efforts at enjoying the good gifts that God has given to us, we might be less sinful and less sin-filled and more joyful and joy-filled. When we make it a priority to enjoy God's good gifts that he gives to us, we might find the pleasures and delights of the world less and less enticing. So all in all, count your blessings. Take notice of all that God has given to you. And thank him because they are also gifts given to you to be enjoyed. We spend so many years of our lives working, and while we should find some enjoyment in our work, God has also given us many other blessings to enjoy as well. So enjoy them to the glory of God. Enjoy them while also remembering that God is the dispenser of every good gift, that God has given to you the greatest gift of his Son, and that more joy is coming your way as you wait to receive the promised inheritance that God has written for us in his word. Amen. Let's pray. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down for the Father of lights. Lord, Everything that we have comes from your gracious hand. Every gift that we have is a reminder of just how undeserving we are. But every gift that we have is also a reminder to us of your great mercy and your great love for us. And even your great grace to the world Lord, help us to count our blessings. Help us to take notice of the things that you have gifted to us. Help us to enjoy them, but not excessively. Help us to not forsake them, but help us to receive them, to enjoy them, ultimately, to your glory. So we thank you, God, for being so gracious to us. We thank you, Lord. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand. <clears throat> let's stand in, in worship. Um, let's sing one more song in response to uh, today's message. Amen. Come thou fount of 
Every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. And teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Pray the mountain, fix upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. And Jesus saw me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, to rescue me from danger, interpose his precious life. Oh, to great, how great a debtor, daily I constrain to thee. Let thy grace, Lord, like a better. Find my wandering heart to thee. And prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, make it still it. Still it for thy courts up. Prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it, seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it, seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God, we worship you, Lord. Lord, our prayer, our prayer, Lord, today is that you may, you may place in us, Lord, in your people, a desire, Lord, to work onto you. Meaningful work, Lord. May we enjoy the work that you that you place before us, Lord, for for all that we do or work for or work that comes from you, Lord. Lord, humble our hearts um, to to receive your blessings, um, as, but also as we remember, Lord, to work um, unto you, Father. May we. Ultimately, Lord, find our fulfillment and our contentment in you, Lord. I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Today's benediction is out of uh, Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. The Word of God says, Now may, God, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd 
of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, Church, uh, we will also be having our members meeting right after, uh, so please stick around for that. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you. Do you want to-